Welcome to the Good Theological Thursday podcast, where we have open conversations about theology and culture. My name is James Crockett. And I am Dre Clark, and we are glad to have you join in our conversation today. We hope that this podcast helps you as you think about your life and God and how they fit together. Welcome in to Season 2, Episode 10 of the Good Theological Thursday podcast. Uh, we are actually coming to you, this recording is on a Monday, uh, because we do have a special guest uh, joining us, and um, her schedule had to work out. We needed to record Monday. So um, so we're coming in on a Monday, but Dre, I've already had a great Monday morning, came into the office, and my lock wouldn't work, so... Was locked out of my own office. Um, so An eventful day it, already. Um, but we got in. It's okay. But they are gonna have to fix my lock. So just to be sure, we're not we're recording this on a Monday, but they're not listening to it till Thursday. That's that true. Right? They are not listening so, till Thursday. So we're coming to you on a Thursday then, since you're yeah, we're listening. coming to you on a Thursday. Because I'm not gonna edit this today. Being recorded <laughs> on a Monday. Mm-hmm. If that's not enough confusion for everyone to start the show, then we'll, we'll we can maybe improve on that. So, anyways, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's Monday, man. We're it's we're, a Monday. It, yeah. it is. It I'm is tired. I was. We were up last night watching Saturday Night Live for Taylor Swift all last night. So we are. Mm. Um, my wife and I were. Uh, we didn't realize Saturday night. It, Saturday Night Live is like over an hour, like almost two hours long, and so we started it way too late to watch Taylor Swift's performance, and then. Um. Yeah, and now we are we're awake today, but very tired too on a Monday. So it definitely feels that way. But on on a good note, I got I got a cookies this morning. Last week I don't even remember if I posted it, but I was eating brownies last week for the episode. That was my breakfast. But this week it's, nice. it's pumpkin cookies, which is a little bit more healthy because it has a vegetable in it. <laughs> I think the pumpkin's a vegetable. I think it might be a fruit. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, it's definitely in in the it's a healthier variety than just the brownies that I had. There you go. Last week, so yeah. I'm improving my breakfast game. So. Yeah. Oh, that's that's wonderful. So, yeah. Well, Dre, today we are going to be talking about uh, depression in the church. Uh, I think this is a pretty important subject in. Uh, we do have a special guest uh, coming on to talk about this because Dre, I don't know, I don't know about you, but. Um, this this topic is one that I would not consider myself well versed in. Like this is, you know, I, I can maybe talk some biblically about this, but there is a there's a different side to depression, um, a medical side, um, a psychological side that I, I'm maybe not the most well versed in. So I, I think having a guest on who would maybe know a little more about it. Um, is very helpful, uh, even for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, just, um, you know, our topic of depression today, it's, it's, uh, I think it was about a month ago, James, there was a lot of articles coming up. There was a prominent pastor that was, uh, that, mm-hmm. that was dealing with suicide and, and committed suicide through, um, you know, battling with depression for years. And so I do think mm-hmm. that this is, um, you know, more and more you're hearing these stories and, and more and more, I think there's people that are, um, definitely dealing with depression too. So I think it's a really relevant topic as well. Um, and it's not something I, th- I think the church has to be really careful of saying we have all the answers. And so part right. of what we're trying to do today is bring in a guest who can talk a little bit more because um, us as pastors, you know, theologians, you know, New Testament scholars, linguistics, um, we can we can see a lot of insight to things, but but we don't have the answers to everything. And so we need to very right. we need to always aim for a holistic approach. Yeah, um, I agree. So our guest today, luckily, though, um, is my favorite person in the world it is my wife, who is a licensed professional counselor. Um, intern, so she's still in her 3,000 hours. How many hours have you actually completed of that now, Lainey? Oh, I'm about halfway through. Halfway through. 1,500 so. of 3,000. Yeah. Wow. So that I think it takes impressive. it takes just the same amount of time to become a counselor as it does a doctor. Is that what mm-hmm. it is? To pretty go through much. Med school? Pretty so. much. Yep. So she's been, she's has her undergrad in psychology. She has her master's in counseling. She has completed the NCE, um, completed her practicum, and is now in her internship um, over halfway through um, so she is a, she's counseling every week. That's her, her job. She works at our church yeah. and our counseling center. Um, she has worked at a lot of different clinics. Uh, she's worked at college universities to, uh, you know, major clinics up in Dallas to now in a more church setting. She's also traveled around Houston area doing some counseling too at different clinics. Um, so she's has a lot of experience in that. And uh, 
I'm privileged to have her as my wife, and she's yeah. here to help us, two pastors, talk about depression today. Yes. Um, because, you know, in, in some ways the Bible depress, uh, expresses emotions and it talks about depression, uh, but in other ways it doesn't talk about some of the other stuff that is really key to the conversation that we, that we yeah. would be negligent if we didn't talk about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Dre, I agree that this holistic approach is important um, when discussion, discussing even if we even want to go into a theology of depression, you have to include um, some of this medical and psychological side, which the Bible doesn't address explicitly. Um, so, uh, Lainey, thanks for coming on. Um, uh, maybe my first question is uh, just kind of as we go into this, what led you into the field of wanting to become a counselor? Um, yeah, I'll just start with that. Yeah, good question. When I was in high school, I had a strong sense that I wanted to help people. And I first thought I would be a teacher. I wanted to be a high school English teacher. Um, that's probably freshman year of high school. Um, yeah, I was really thinking young. I was going to prepare myself for that. And then my junior year of high school, I just experienced a lot of really relational turmoil. Uh, my parents had uh, a discourse in their relationship that um, led to a lot of arguments and a lot of just family dynamics. My brother, my older brother was uh, rebellious. And so there's there just a lot in my home that went on. And I always wanted to be the one to help. I always wanted to get everyone to sit down and just talk about it. Um, and I wanted to I wanted to make everything better. I wanted there to be harmony and I wanted there to be uh, peace in my home. Uh, mm -hmm. So there was that going on. And I also had just just relationships with friends or relationships with with boys in high school. And I was always a mediator. I was always in the middle trying to um, fix things and make everything better. So um about that time, junior year of high school, uh, I just sensed a, a, a calling from the Lord to to use my gifts and, and, and my desire, my passion to, to help people through counseling. And so about 16, 17 years old, I knew that's what I probably wanted to do with my life. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Um, so why don't we go into, um, our subject, uh, Dre, I think as we talk about the subject of depression, uh, I mean, we should maybe just start with how do we define this? Um, I'm reminded of a quote from The Office where um, if anybody's an Office fan, there's there's one where Michael is trying to educate everyone on depression and Dwight makes this comment. Isn't that just a, a fancy word for feeling bummed out? And uh, then uh, Michael says the famous line, Dwight, you ignorant slut. Uh, but um, <laughs> but obviously, the, but I, I do in all seriousness, sometimes I do think like maybe people hear the word depression and mm -hmm. it almost is like, Oh, it's just an intense feeling bummed out. So, um, Lainey, help us out. How, how would we define, um, depression and maybe differences between like, like different, I mean, I guess there's different levels of it. So mm -hmm. yeah, if you had to define it, how would you define it for people? Um, that's a good question. There's definitely different, um, I would say intensities for depression to, to be clinically depressed, clinically diagnosed with depression is, is actually a little bit difficult um, because you have to show symptoms of this, uh, of, a, of a depressed mood for the majority of the day, uh, diminished interest or pleasure in activities, uh, maybe some significant weight loss, even though we're not dieting, we're just, we're not eating, inability mm. to sleep or oversleeping. Uh, maybe some agitation, fatigue, loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness. And this these symptoms basically have to be present for at least like every day for the past two weeks and then an mm -hmm. ongoing for about six months. So it, it's kind of hard to, to get to that point, but it, it definitely happens. It absolutely happens. So that's clinically diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Um, but when I talk about depression... I talk about even just a sense of feeling depressed. Uh, maybe you're, maybe you've been even somewhat depressed for just a few weeks. It, I, I mean, definitely you can feel depression, you can experience depression without it being six months of this behavior. Um, and so that's how I define it. 
So, Lainey, is that the difference between clinically depressed and just, you know, I don't know, like a run-of-the-mill depression, like the common cold depression kind of thing? Um, is that is that is that a fair way to think? Like, one of these is a okay. This is actually a clinical. This is the I think that you're reading out the DSM five. Mm-hmm. Is that where that was mm-hmm. coming from? Mm-hmm. So one of them is a you know, you know, an intensive one. The other one is just one that that, that comes. Is that is that the right way to think about yeah. these kind of two categories? Yes. If you were to go to a, uh, if you felt like you had depression and you were to go to your doctor or to a psychiatrist and you're really looking for they're going to prescribe medication, they would ask you these questions. Well, have you lost weight? Have you uh, experienced a loss of energy? Um, they would ask you about your sleeping patterns. And so it would be a very methodical approach. And if you meet this criteria, um, or even, even again, even just some of it, because you could be maybe not meeting everything, but still experiencing some depression. They'll prescribe you so mm-hmm. much of a medication, um, you know, and uh, definitely the more intense the behavior, for instance, suicidal thoughts, they might prescribe you a more intense dose of medication. Um, mm-hmm. However, psych- counselors, licensed prof- professional counselors, um, Psychologists, we do not prescribe medication. So most of the time when I see people, um, I'm not asking those questions necessarily. Um, I'm trying to find what that what could be contributing to their depression when it comes to um, physical behaviors like getting enough sleep, um, but also past events in their life. You know, the thoughts that run through their head. In what ways are they fueling their own? sense of shame or sense of fear or sense of sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, if someone just lost someone significant, they're grieving the loss of a parent or, or a spouse, then then people without knowing that might think that they have depression, but they're actually grieving. And so we don't want to assume that that is depression because it's going to look very different for yeah. someone who's, it's going to look very similar if you're just grieving, but that's a different process. Um, that you walk people through. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to ask just cause I've done some studying because my wife's a counselor. I, I kind of asked another thing too. So Lenny, can you explain more when depression actually happens? Um, so not only just the definition of it, but when it actually happens, can you explain what's going on neurologically um, with the serotonin levels and all that different kind of stuff? Do you, do you have that um, the information of kind of what's happening in the brain? So, um, someone who's a psychologist, uh, obviously neuro neuro psychiatrist, they're going to understand this a lot better than I am. But what I understand is, uh, in our brain, we have several billions of nerve endings that in order to function, your nerve endings are going to talk to each other. They're going to send messages. Um, they're called these synaptic gaps. And when that happens, your brain releases, uh, different kinds of hormones. And in, in, in the brain, when we're talking about depression, you want to re- the release of serotonin into this gap um, and it helps absorb chemicals. And, and so when serotonin is absorbed, it's sending this message to your body. Um, but what happens when we have depression is there's a depletion of serotonin. And so our body is not sending these messages that like, again, waking up in the morning, we might not think that takes a lot of effort. Well, some of us do. I know my husband, it takes him a lot of effort to <laughs> get up in the morning. Yeah, they really are, yeah. <laughs> but especially when, we're, when we have depression and, and it's clinical, then that amount of serotonin that needs to be released isn't um, at, the, at that level it needs to be at. And so it's, an, it's important to realize that this is something that happens neurobiologically. Um, and again, something like not getting enough sleep can affect those levels of serotonin. It's why sleep is so important um, when it comes to to, to most um, mental health related issues. We need we need sleep. So yeah, hmm. Lee, how common would you say? I mean, I don't know if you have any numbers or you know, like off the top of your head, but mm-hmm. how common would you say clinical depression is? And then maybe mm-hmm. as compared to some of the other type of depression we've been talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, how common would you say that is maybe, maybe both categories? Okay. Well, let me speak to clinically depressed. Um, and because these are numbers I have right in front of me. So, uh, currently the estimates from the national Institute of mental health suggest that each year more than 11 million, right. I'm reading that right. 11 million. I'm not good with numbers. 
Yeah. 11 million people in the U.S. alone suffer from depression. So this isn't new wow. diagnoses. This is just people currently suffering, okay? Um, there's a study from 1994 that says 8,000 people aged 15 to 54 found a lifetime rate of 17% for major depression. Um, that's 21% among women and 13% among men and a rate mm-hmm. of 5% when people were asked whether they had to been depressed in the previous month. So the numbers are really not that low i mean they're they're high and depression is more common in women than men um and that you have um what's it called um postpartum depression that plays a part in this as well um and so and so does so that's the clinical answer i'd say as far as um you know, I don't know numbers um, as those who maybe come into counseling who are just struggling with depression, but I can speak to my experience and my practice. Um, it is definite. I would I would say it's probably the second second. It's maybe tied for second. Uh, the first I'd see I'd say I see is anxiety, and then second mm-hmm. is maybe trauma and depression. Mm-hmm. And most of the time trauma is caught depression is caused by some trauma in other in people's life so um so it is it's it's definitely like the second thing second most common thing i see just in what i do so um james i I have a little thing here too that i think might be interesting um i took a class um just a pastoral counseling class um taught by a um, LPCS, um, and so that's a, not only just a licensed professional counselor, but one who can supervise and has his own clinic in Dallas. And uh, and he gave us this list of of ten myths about depression. I think would be you know kind of beneficial. I, and I don't have I mean if, if you have any questions about some of these, Lane, you can kind of talk through. But um, but I, I found this really helpful too, just in studying uh, depression um, for myself from a pastoral and just from like a you know advantage of hey if I'm if I'm a friend if I'm just an average person person um, you know. And I find somebody in my life who's going through depression, just some basic myths and things that I shouldn't believe about depression. Um, mm. And so I thought it'd be kind of cool to read through a couple of those real quick. But uh, yeah. um, I think there's eight, there's eight of them here. And then um, and then that kind of goes into our next question, too, that you have, James. Yeah. Uh, but here's the list that I have for my class. It says, uh, number one, um, this, these are myths. So these are things that are not true. Um, so the first myth is that depression always results from sin or a lack of faith. Mm. Um and so that that's one of the main myths. It's just not true. Number two, depression is caused by personal weakness. Hmm. Depression is caused by personal weakness. Once again, not true. Three, a, a true Christian. This is a really kind of big one, too, that's been coming up lately. I've had some questions from students about this one. But here's the myth. A true Christian should never be depressed. You know, a true <laughs> Christian should never struggle with suicide, should never struggle with these issues. Hmm. Um, all of that. Uh, number four. Uh, depression should be cured by spiritual resources. I think we've hit a little bit on that with our last question of what's actually, there is something neurologically happening. Um, Mm. And so depression should be cured by spiritual resources. Myth number five, using antidepressants means I'm not relying on God. Um, Mm. Using antidepressants means I'm not relying on God. Mm. Myth number six, um, antidepressants will make my problems better though. Antidepressants make my problem better. So um, is you know, if I just if I just got that, me- that's all. I just need to be medicated, and that's my problem. That's going to make everything better. Um, that's another myth. Myth number seven: medication alone can cure depression. Um, I think that's kind of a backlash too to maybe yeah. the medical thing. Medication alone can cure depression. Um, and myth number eight: medication masks feelings, blocking real problems. That's mm. the myth. Medication masks feelings, blocking real problems. Uh, so, James, even just reading through those, um, what kind of questions does that raise in your head? What kind of thoughts? I mean, how? Yeah. How do you, how do you feel? Um, you know, well, those are at least at least in the world that we deal with. Whenever we're dealing, because we deal with people on a daily basis, and, and I, I get at least a couple people that are going through depression at least once a week um, with a student yeah. want to talk to me about that. Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, first off, I mean, I hear those and these are all things like you read those, but I have heard many of those quote unquote myths um, before. Like it's not, those aren't new phrases to me. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, In fact, I remember even having a biblical counseling class and uh, sometimes, and Lainey, maybe you could speak to this. I, I think like, you know, when biblical counseling can sometimes be taught, it's this idea that all you need is the Bible and prayer and nothing else, right? And mm-hmm. um, I hear some of these 
these these statements, these myths, and maybe someone who's going through clinical depression or even not even just clinical, but, you know, just some really tough depression. I mean, you have many examples of believers. I mean, Spurgeon is a well-known um, Charles Spurgeon suffered a mm-hmm. lifelong battle with depression. Um, yeah. You read the scriptures of some ways. I mean, go back to the Psalms and there, there seems to be times where the psalmist is suffering from something really deep emotionally, mm-hmm. almost this depressive state. And, yeah. Um, book of Lamentations. Is yeah, I mean, yeah, the Book of Laments. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. and so I hear all these, and if someone has told these things, like Dre, someone's told some of the things that you've read off. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, maybe you can expound on this. I feel like that could be very dangerous, or maybe uh, oftentimes instead of making helping, instead of making things better, it can maybe make things worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Lainey, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Because not only are you then, are not only are you then, uh, there's that person is sensitive to their mental health and emotional state, but then we're going to attack their their spiritual life, and we're mm. going to say that mm. basically, if you're not a good enough Christian, if you're not spiritual enough, this is what's going to happen. And then they're going to try to overcome this by prayer, by scripture, and they're going to feel like they're the best Christian ever, but yet still be feeling this way. And so it's just going to make them doubt their faith, doubt God. And that's definitely Mm -hmm. not what we want. Um, And so we have to realize, you know, and not everybody might be this way, but I take a very holistic approach. So I, mm-hmm. even though I work in a church, I'm working with believers. I'm not just going to ask them about their spiritual life. We talk about that. We talk about that a lot because I believe I tell clients it's that changes a hundred percent on you because you're responsible mm-hmm. for the outcome of your life. But it's also a hundred percent on the Holy Spirit working through you. Mm-hmm. And when you guys are working together, uh, I think not only is that going to help you recover, but it's going to help you feel more at peace. Uh, so that's what mm-hmm. I tell clients. But I take a very holistic approach, and so I'll ask them again: How much sleep are you getting? What's your diet like? Are you mm-hmm. exercising? Um, what what kind of social relationships do you have in your life? Do you have people who are supportive and who support you and encourage you? Um, because again, you know, if you have, if you're in an abusive relationship or you, ha- you were abused as a kid, that's going to deeply affect the way that you view life, the way that you right. think about yourself. Um, and then, uh, and then the spiritual, spiritual aspect. So there's just five basic things that I ask, um, even just in the first session, um, but we get deeper into all kinds of things later on too. Um, yeah. But spiritual, the spirituality, it, it affects every part of it. But it also is just one, one question to ask about. Um, but I do, I encourage my clients to 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 read scripture, to be in prayer. But one of the things I often point out to them is in Lamentations three, because um, you know the author is is he one of my favorite verses, and I think it's. Uh, chapter three, maybe like verse 18 or 19. I always have Mm -hmm. clients start reading there because it says, it says he being God has put arrows in my arrows in my arrows from his quiver in my kidneys. (laughs) So this, this mental image of, of arrows in my kidneys. And then also it's like my teeth are grinding on gravel. And so those two mental pictures, I have a lot of clients who can relate to that because it just sounds so painful, even just to even to just think about. Uh, But that's a lot of times how they feel. And then we get to verse 21 where, uh, you know, he he, again, he laments, he is complaining, he is grumbling against the Lord. And he is saying that uh, God has brought these against him. And then in verse 21, it says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And he goes mm-hmm. on for 10 verses about the Lord's faithful love and his compassion and how even though he may be, um, you know, he be suffering for a season, uh, mm-hmm. the, the light will come, the dawn will come and, and mm-hmm. his mercies are new every morning. And so I mm-hmm. do, I have clients read through that and walk through that to realize what they're going through is okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's normal um, and the Lord cares about it. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's just a great passage to point out because it illustrates an important principle that um, maybe some of these myths uh, tend to not communicate in that if someone is suffering with depression, there's not a promise in scripture that if you just read your Bible and pray enough that God's going to automatically remove it, right? And, and so you might have to bear under the weight of it, but the promise from God is just what you mentioned, that his mercies are new every morning, that the Lord is compassionate, that the Lord is faithful, mm-hmm. the Lord is loving. I mean, I think of 
Paul when he talks about the thorn in his flesh. Um, I don't necessarily think this is it, but some people have even suggested maybe Paul is suffering from some sort of depression. Um, I don't know if that's it, but I think the principle is still the same in that Paul was suffering from something and there was some sort of thorn in his flesh and he asked God to take it away and God never did. But then the uh, what Paul began to realize at the end of the day was even though God hasn't taken this away, number one, God will. In the end, there will be a time where we experience a new creation where all things will be made new. This this corruptible will put on incorruptible, and that's the promise we look forward to. But the temporary promise for now is that when I am weak, he is strong. And so uh, I think sometimes these myths communicate, especially if, if we're questioning people's spirituality, then people, they pray and they read their Bible, and then they still suffer from this. Mm. And then somehow we make them feel bad that they're not being spiritual enough. Like, oh, you're not praying hard enough. And, and that's, that is incredibly unhelpful. Um, yeah. Very unhelpful. you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I like Elaine to start off pointing out that just what you're saying, that, that whenever we, whenever we don't realize the complexity of this issue um, and we, we treat people as formulas, we treat them as, you know, if I just put this in and I get this out like a machine um, and we have an improper anthropology um, mm. then what we end up hurting people, we end up kicking them while they're down. Um, and so, I mean, the last thing that someone wants to come in that's feeling depressed is for you to say, well, stop doing that. Like you just need to go do, just be <laughs> yeah. better. You know, um, I know that's a tempting, a tempting response, you know, and especially being on the pastoral side that me and, me and you, James have both been on and Laney as well too. I mean, people, you know, they're doing things and sometimes it's really obvious for us to see like, well, yeah, if you just change your diet, change, blah, 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 you know, it seems like an easy fix. Um, but when you're in the middle of that, that advice is not helpful. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's not correct too, because there's so much more to a person than just what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much more to a person than, than even just the way they think. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think if we just try to say, well, your problem is you're thinking or you're doing or you're being this or whatever it is, if we, if we, um, reduce the human down into this to ones and zeros, um, then I think that we we can do a lot of damage. And so, so so we're not trying to diminish, you know, the idea of spirituality because I think that's, that's the other attack. I mean, you either go far to one where it's, you know, you need this kind of counseling and then, or you need, you need all, it's all science. You know, I think that, I think that the two sides need to meet. And and I, I think me and Lainey both um, um, advocate for an integrated model. Yeah. Um, And so, so you, you know, what, what counselors, what professionals, what these licensed people are doing and what biblical counselors, what pastors, what, what people that are offering spiritual help are both doing um, coincide with each other, but they're, they're just different things, but both are needed for a holistic approach yeah. um, because, the, because it's, people are not just, you know, ones and zeros and they're not just, we're not just these, you know, spirits trapped inside this body either, you know? Um, and so mm. somewhere in the middle, we need to work together. Um, yeah. I think also too on this, and this is probably a whole other podcast, but, um, but I would advocate for, a correct understanding of sufficiency of scripture. Cause that's the one yeah. that I think mo- most people, at least in the pastoral world I talk with when they talk about biblical counseling, um, you know, they'll, they'll bring up sufficiency of scripture, scripture and that doctrine and say, well, you're denying that doctrine. If you, you need to, you know, have medication, you know, you're not relying on God or you're not relying on mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I would just, I mean, that's a ridiculous argument cause it's a misunderstanding of, of that yeah. doctrine of sufficiency. Um, and it's just, if you listen to what you're saying with that, I mean, there's so much stuff that we do in a daily day that, that's not in the scripture. So scripture is sufficient for salvation. It's not sufficient for how to do brain surgery. Um, yeah. And I think that we need to apply those rules even to our mental health as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah just, Drea, just, just some thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you jumped really to my next question, uh, Lainey, even for you of um, what, what do you tell What would you tell someone? Um, so like two part question, there's a simple like, hey, is biblical counseling enough? Um, number one, and then maybe the more antagonistic question is, um, if you don't, if you say there needs to be a more integrated model, does that somehow um, denigrate the sufficiency of Scripture? Um, is going outside of like you know, and, you know, sometimes having to deal with medical means or scientific means, is, does that somehow? Um, bring a question on the sufficiency of scripture, right? Are we, Hey, we're not relying enough on scripture. So Lainey, how would you um, respond to that? Yeah, I definitely don't think that 
going outside of scripture is means I'm not relying sufficiently on Christ. And, mm-hmm. and, and maybe this is uh, simplistic to say, but I think we've all said we've gone to the doctor before when we were sick, when we weren't right. feeling well. And I right. know I've got a flu shot and I have taken Advil. <laughs> so right. does that mean I'm allowed my my physical body is allowed to be to be insufficient or, or broken at times. But my mental, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, we're talking about the brain, which is an organ, just right. like my heart is just like my kidneys are. And sometimes it doesn't function. And mm-hmm. the you know the, there's such a mystery with the brain because right now where we are at, and I'm not even an expert on this, of course, but medically we can understand the heart, we can understand the kidneys, but the brain is such a mystery still that I think people are still so skeptical because I'm like, you know, we think our emotional response that has to do with my brain. Wait, we yeah. we, I, we just don't quite understand that, and science is getting a lot better at this. Um, and I think the mysteries, um, hopefully, they'll become they'll come some understanding where we'll be able to say, oh, this part of your brain, you know, it's your, I don't know, your prefrontal cortex isn't your your logic isn't working, and so it means you have bipolar disorder. So let's prescribe you this medication. I don't know. That's that's futuristic thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe one day we'll get there. Um, but for right now, we just we just don't know. And it is a practice to prescribe medication, and it's not always perfect. And and a lot of people they don't like the effects it has, um, but it helps people function in daily life. And so a lot of times I have clients who I think I'm answering the second part of your question first about about the need to medicate. But a lot of times I'll have clients and they'll say, "Well, I'm just not comfortable medicating," and that's perfectly fine that's 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 nothing wrong with that at all Uh, my assertion is always if you can't um if you can't work if you're not getting any sleep if you are um you know you can't nobody nobody can stand to be around you because you're so irritable or you're so sad all the time and you just can't function you can't even get out of bed in the morning you need some help right because you're Mm -hmm. not going to get better if you're not able to get out of bed you're not going to get better if you're not getting sleep and mm-hmm. so maybe it's just a sleeping pill um, that's going to help you get to a baseline um, mm-hmm. where you're where you have a foundation, a, a, at least a solid foundation where you can at least tackle the mental and the emotional side of things. Um, mm-hmm. And so, the, you know, and and research has always shown that medication is most beneficial alongside therapy. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we we do. I always advocate for both of those. If you're going to be on medication, don't let that be the only thing. Also get therapy because, again, we're affected by life and our experiences are going to make a difference. Mm. So, well, and even, even just to add on that, too, um, I think that last point Lainey said is really important that, that going to a, you know, an LPC, going to a professional, going to maybe even if you need medication. Um, remember that that last myth on there was that medications will make my problems better. Mm. Um, there's There's no pill you can take to get rid of or diminish the situation that you find yourself in. Yeah. Um, that that's, that's barbaric. That's just a ridiculous idea. But yet I think, you know, it's easy to say, well, duh, you can't take a pill that makes, you know, your uh, crying baby go to sleep like that. That doesn't work. Um, but at the same time, we, we almost believe like, well, if I just take this, things will get better. And I think what, what we need to realize mm-hmm. what medication is doing is it's bringing your biology back into a balance. Um, it, it's mm. helping helping you kind of get back at the way that it was described in my pastoral counseling classes. You're getting from a state of abnormality back to a normality where you can face your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're sleeping all day and, you, and you're losing weight and, you're, and you have this this depression that is abnormal, it's not the way your body was designed to function. Um, well, before you can begin to to practice the Christian things, um, before you can even practice your spirituality and, and even just basic things of living, you've got to get to that state of normality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, but, but then once you get to that state of normality, you have to, there is this Christian calling of, okay, that normal state is now becoming more like Christ. It's now moving forward. And so then there's, that's where you go in more of the realm of past biblical counseling and, and what has God called you to do? And how do you, how do you handle your, your relationship, your marriage better? Um, what, mm-hmm. what does the Bible say about, about, um, about raising your kids? And what does the Bible say about, you know, A, B, C, D, E and insufficiency of how do we move forward? How do we bring redemption, shalom? How do we re- become restored and redeem people? And what does it mean to live like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can't get to that until you have gotten to a state of, of, of balance back in your own just physiology. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah. they don't make your problems better. Um, they help get you to a state where you can now handle your problems. And that's where you need to handle it biblically. So I think there's a, 
kind of a two side thing there that we got to work with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we, before we wrap up, I, I want to maybe briefly address one more question. Um, and maybe we could all give a short response on this. Um, and Lainey, let's just start with you. Um, how should the church respond? Like, let's just, that, I mean, I guess maybe that's a broad question, but <laughs> how, how should the church, maybe some top things that come to mind for you, how should the church respond to the issue of depression? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think this is getting a lot better. I think people are um, talking more about this. So, so that's the first thing is I think pastors and people in positions of ministry need to need to preach about it from the pulpit. They need to talk about mm-hmm. it in their conversations with others. And, um, it, you know, again, people wrestling, people, people are wrestling with this. And so what does scripture say about not just depression, but, uh, anxiety and about, uh, mm-hmm. this, about stress, post-traumatic stress disorder. I had a, I had a professor who we had to we had to diagnose Job, was Job um, experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. And so I think that it's not something that is mutually exclusive from scripture. And so Mm -hmm. talking about it more from their positions of of ministry, but also personally in their own life. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a pastor I greatly respect because, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to work at a church where we have a counseling center that's free for members. And I, um, I have, I have a, I don't know this pastor well. Uh, we have a large church, so I don't know him super well. But I, I have respect for him become, because he comes in every week to see one of the counselors, and yeah. you know, and he, and he, in his position of ministry, he talks about it. It talks about his struggles, and uh, he talks about why he goes, and so, um, and that just is a good example, I think, for others in their own walk to know that it's okay to go to counseling, that we might need to go to counseling at times um, and that it can be really helpful. So talking about it from the pulpit and also personally in their own life. Yeah. Yeah. Dre, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I I think um, I've got a couple, like two big things. I think the church needs to, needs to um, be about, needs to be known for one um, is really a negative. The church, the church has got to stop saying we can handle all of your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, the church is, I think we've got to stop. The way I was taught is that we can't be a one-stop shop model. Um, you know, the church historically and scripturally, you know, we, it, it is never claimed to say we can, we can do everything. The church has always claimed we're going to help you in whatever situation. So the church mm-hmm. has always said that, you know, you've had from, from pastors who have also said, you know, even some of the earliest physicians, you know, were doctors, these pastors that would travel and they would see people hurting and they would do what they could, but they never claimed to have all the answers for everything. So, so there's a difference in saying the church wants to help you in any way we can. We want to meet you where you're at, wherever you're at. That's one thing. But to say, we're going to help you. We are able to, we have everything, all the resources to help you wherever you're at, wherever you're at. You know, that kind of Mm -hmm. a thing is where it becomes negative. That's whenever it becomes uh, you know, us claiming to do something that, that is beyond our scope of, of, of learning and education and ability. And it's, that's not what, once again, that's not the, the doctrine of sufficiency. Um, I can help people read their Bibles. I can help people understand truths. I can help people um, point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, really, that's, that's what I do. I have, I have two messages. You know, you've messed up and God saved you. That's about all that I know how to say to somebody. Um, and so when it comes to these other areas, we have to tread lightly. So that's that's the first big thing that I would I would say the church needs to do. Um, and then second, I think the church is um, I think we have to stop the stop the uh, the trying to blame. And I think we got to do a better job. Here's what I'm trying to say: we got to do a better job at under at, at anthropology. We've got to do a better job at understanding what does it mean to be human and, and giving people spaces in our church to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever we say, well, you're, de- you're depressed because you're sin or you're anxious because of sin in your life. And if we just, you know, if, if you're, uh, I say this all the time, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail, right? And so mm-hmm. I think the church has to realize that our default response is going to be a theological or a sin or some kind of spiritual issue. Um, you know, but that that's not always the case. Humans are more complex. So it's, it's a misunderstanding of anthropology, what it means to be human. Um, and I think that we need to maybe take a step back in some of these areas and, and uh, and be humble enough to let someone else steer because we care about people uh, more than mm. we care about our ability to be this you know mega organization that can deal with everything. So those are kind of just a couple mm. of my thoughts on it. James, what about yeah. you? Yeah, I'll just end quickly just saying the church needs to provide in this issue. The church needs to provide an environment of truth, love, and understanding. 
So it needs to provide an environment of truth in that um, a lot of what you talked about, number one, these issues are being talked about, but then truth is being spoken into these issues. Uh, starting with good biblical truth of um, the the reality of what God says about us, right? I think uh, hammering on people's identity, you know, and how God views them um, and God's love and compassion towards them and uh, for believers, our identity with Christ. I mean, that can that could be a, a really helpful thing. And um, speaking the truth of even again, like, you know, that sometimes sometimes uh, what people are suffering from, it, maybe it needs more than just, you know, um, Bible reading and prayer. Not saying that's not sufficient, but sometimes, hey, there's going to have to be some outside resources that are used. But speaking truth, uh, an environment of love where if people are suffering with this, they can be. Um, they know that the church loves them no matter what, that this doesn't make them less of a person because they're struggling with it, or this doesn't somehow make them less spiritual or less of a Christian because they're suffering through it. And then, yeah, environment of understanding where, uh, we, we, we sit there and we, we hear what people are going to, and we can understand with them. Right. And then we seek to help them in any way we can. Uh, I think many times maybe we have, and I think we are getting better about this, but maybe we haven't provided environments where people feel like they can be understood and, mm. um, and providing a place where people, where we can, we provide an environment of understanding, affirming that, hey, you know, what you're going through is real, but there are also answers to it. Right. And so, um, and I would add on, you know, any church, I think, whether I know for y'all's church, um, you have a biblical counseling center, which I think is awesome. But for the churches maybe who don't have one or maybe can't afford to bring on a counselor and pay them or whatever, at least be connected to a good counseling yeah. center you trust have that you can refer people yeah. to, which is actually our church. That's what we do uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're actually, you know, our church would love to one day actually bring counselors on the campus and do that more full time. But for now, we don't have that. So what we do is we we have a counseling center, a good counseling center near us that I've recommended even some of my college students before I've sent them over there. I've said, hey, you need to go over there. Our church actually will pay for their first three sessions. Um, and so uh, if even if you don't have like a counseling center, it'd be good to just have somewhere you can trust you trust where you can reference people. Um, mm, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think some of those things could be um, really helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's really good too. just the idea that never imply that we have everything here at our church, I mean, even at our church that has a counseling center. I mean, there's still issues that that we reference out. There's still things that come up in people's lives that we mm. say, um, well, you, you need to go to this specialist or go to that. And so it really, it's just working to get to community, which is makes sense. That's what the church should be. Um, mm. You know, we don't have everything under one roof, but, but we're networked and we, we care and, and we have, we, we we're, we're aware of this problem and we are working as best we can to help you through it. And I think if churches do a better job at that, and not so much, you know, these are my people, my thing, and I'm the only one that can help them. And it's, it's just working against pride in the church. And I think a lot of our problems in the church really do mass from this idea of, of pride and, and uh, mm. you know, and, and thinking more of us instead of listening, seeking to understand. I love all those things you said. I mean, just really focused on what's the best way that I can help and serve this person. Yeah. Um, I think if that's our heart, um, I think we're in the right path. So. Yeah. All right. Well, James, let's leave everybody with some questions for today. Um, is there uh you know, talking about this issue, of course, there's a lot more that we that we could say about this. There's a lot more that Lainey has to say, of course, too, and mm-hmm. that we could talk about. It's a huge issue, uh, but we want to leave you with some questions that you can discuss with your community, uh, a couple friends at work, just, you know, some good questions that, that for you to think about and, and talk about even in your homes. Um, so, so, James, I would want to ask one thing that I know we didn't cover too much that I really think is worth thinking through. Um, so my question is, uh, what is the relationship between sin and issues of depression or anxiety? All these different things. Um, you know, what is the connection there? I mean, there's there's a thing called nuthetic counseling. You know, that, that, and one of those myths, you know, is it just related to sin? But um, but theologically, wasn't every problem related to sin? So I think there's just a lot of good stuff to explore there. But, but what's the relationship between sin, brokenness, um, and these issues? And, and I think really thinking through and, and working out what is that? How does how do they tie together? Helps you figure out uh, how do you address it. So that's my first question mm. to to leave people with. That we we hit it a little bit on, but I think a lot more to think about there. Mm. Uh, James, what about you? you? Got a question? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to ask a question related to basically what I just 
spoke about is are you, are we as a church or as your church, are you mm-hmm. personally and as a church, are you providing environments of love and understanding where people can be open and sharing their struggles um, uh, with mm-hmm. depression, right? Yeah. Do people come into your church and are they uncomfortable talking about it because mm. they feel like they might be judged or they might be looked down on spiritually? Or do you provide an environment where you say, hey, no, you can be open about this and we're going to love on you and care for you in the best way possible? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah I, think, so, I think that last question you asked, James, how should the church respond? I think everybody needs to think through that question because uh, we are the church, right? I mean, th- this idea that there is an organizational side, but but you're part of your community. And so um, I think that's I think we all have the responsibility to, to shape that question. So I really thought that was a, a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lainey, do you have a question you want to add for our listeners? Uh, just kind of some things they can think about this week. Sure. I, you know, I was thinking um, maybe just as a as a way to encourage you guys in where you're at. If you're asking yourself the question, should I go to counseling? The answer is yes, um, mm-hmm. because you if if you know I tell people all I am sometimes is a glorified friend because I'm going to help you flush things out. I'm going to encourage you. Uh, I'm going to help you with give you resources. Um, and our goal is not to hopefully no counselor's goal is to uh, we don't want you to be dependent upon us. We want you to be equipped in your own life so that when problems and things come, you'll have the resources you need. So if you're asking yourself that question, hey, maybe I should go to counseling. You know, I'm experiencing some of these symptoms of, of depression. So I wonder if I should go. I would just say if you're asking yourself that question, then the answer is yes. And to encourage you to if you if you hold Christian beliefs, find a counselor who also will hold those beliefs, because that's going to affect the, the way that they do counseling. And mm. so I would want I would want myself, you know, someone who's going to help me with some of these deeper issues and these deeper pains to share a worldview that's going to affect the way that I view myself, the way that I view my world, the way that I view God. I would want them to be on the same page with me. And so so that's just kind of my question. If you're asking yourself this question, maybe. Yeah. Good, good. That's good. All right. Uh, So we normally do our weekly recommendations, but whenever we bring guests on, we like to hear their recommendations. And so, uh, Lainey, you've got a couple uh, books that you've listed here for people that want to maybe, not necessarily about depression, but just any kind of, you know, counseling Mm -hmm. kind of vibe of of books in general. So you've listed a couple books. Do you want to share some ones that you would recommend for our uh, listeners this week? Yes. So the first book I have on here is called The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. He's a he's a doctor. um, And so he takes a very he takes a neurological approach, but he talks about not only depression, but also anxiety and how shame can really get us caught in this cycle of feeling uh, like I have to be superhuman this anxiety mm-hmm. drives me to be superhuman. And then when I realize I'm not, I fall into this state of subhumanity where I am often depressed. And so we get caught in this cycle. So really good book by Kurt Thompson. Uh, the God-Shaped Brain is by a doctor as well. That's Timothy Jennings. And that's a good book because it's going to take a very neurological approach. Uh, but also what, hap- what happens when I think and how does that affect my functioning? And so... Mm-hmm. Good book. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is actually one that's on my docket to read. It's just been probably the most suggested book um, from fellow counselors, from from fellow supervisors. And so um, I've heard nothing but good about that book. And so I want to read that one. And then another book, which is um, definitely the, the least clinical. It's by Lisa Turker. She's a Christian author. And she had gone through some significant events in her own life, medically and in her relationship with her husband. And she wrote a book. It's called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. Um, And I think just that title alone can help us get a glimpse of, you know, what I have felt that too. And, Mm -hmm. And so she takes a really good spiritual, biblical approach. Again, not necessarily to depression, but to things in life that we we don't think should be the way that they are. Um, So. All good books. Awesome. awesome. So we'll post those four books on our uh, Facebook page this week. So you yeah. can uh, check those out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, yeah. Lainey, again, uh, just for Absolutely. coming on and uh, joining us. Uh, it's been it's been good. Um, thank yeah. you for your insight. Yes, thank you all. And Lainey, yeah. if uh, people want to follow you, kind of uh, get some more insight from you, what is the what's your social Instagram name so our people can go follow and like your stuff? <laughs> Well, I don't know that I'd say it's 
therapeutic related, but you can see a lot of pictures of my dog. A lot of puppies. Um, That's it's yeah. dog therapy. So, find oh yeah, that. yes, it's it's it has a lot to do. What am I what am I saying? It does. It has affects our mental health greatly. <laughs> so my Instagram is Dancy Elena Beth, uh, which I know is weird because that's you're like, oh, this girl's name is Lainey. Actually, my full name is Dancy Elena Beth. So you can go follow me on Instagram or find me on Facebook. Um, Lainey Clark is my Facebook. So great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Lainey, for being on with us today. Always yeah. good. Always yeah. good and very helpful for both of us. I think I, I know I got a lot of it, so I think you did too. Yeah. Man, so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll speak personally. I know Lainey and Dre both. Lainey, I know you make Dre a much better man and a much more I get free counseling every yes. day. So, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, so she gets good challenge. She gets good practice having to oh, yeah. Dre the, the best. You know, it's it's a it's a burden on me, but I'm I'm, I'm glad to offer it to her. So. <laughs> so, so. Oh, my goodness. So, well, again, as always, for those of you who are listening, we thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope that this has been helpful for you um as always uh you can if you want to know more if you want to see the books that have been mentioned by laney um you can follow us on facebook at good theological thursday just search us there we will post those books um as always if you have a question that you want us to discuss send that in to us you can send that through our facebook page or you can email us at good theological thursday at gmail.com uh, we also encourage you, if you have not yet, to leave a rating, leave a review, uh, show it to a friend, uh, maybe who might benefit from the podcast. Um, but uh, again, thank you for joining us today. Dre, you want to let them know what we've got coming up next week? Yes, yeah, so join us back next week as we discuss a question that was asked from uh, one of my friends. And the question is this, do I actually need to join a local church? Uh, you know, online community, is that okay? All these different things. Um, but we're going to be talking about all things local church next week. Until then, have a good Theological Thursday. See ya. See ya.